right, so tell me, what is that? What is that? What's the picture? Louder, please. What is that? What do you think that is? Louder still. I can't hear you. Speak up. Thank you. The moon. Thank you. Coffee wasn't strong enough back there this morning. Yes, that's the moon. That's the moon. And um, if we ever actually get back to the moon, or if you're a conspiracy theorist, if we ever get to the moon to begin with, some of you may, you know, be of that camp, whatever. Um, If we ever get back to the moon and we do like the moon base and all that kind of stuff, um, I guarantee you us West Virginians will have no problem driving on the moon because that's our roads. That's, that's home right there, isn't it? Um, I don't know where exactly you live in our fine state, but it doesn't matter because wherever you live, you're going to experience driving on that. For those of you who are out-of-state college students, you're welcome. Um, yeah, so you know, this is what we grow up with, uh, those of us who are from here, and, and if you're here at all, you get used to it pretty quick. You have to. You really don't have any choice uh, because that's, that's the condition of our roads. And it's a good thing, though, because you know, if we ever are finding ourselves in a place that uh, has this sign, um, we will be okay. We can just drive right on through, and if the, the person flags us down, we can say, hey, don't worry about it. I'm from West Virginia. And they'll be like, okay, go on, go on through. Go on ahead. Yeah, so, you know, those, those potholes on those roads, uh, I mean, that's like the single greatest threat against our, our tires and our front end of our vehicles, Right. Uh, nothing knocks our tires out of alignment like driving on those craters, really is what they are, right around here. Uh, it's, it's terrible. Uh, every spring, you'll notice you're, you're shaking as you're, as you're driving. And you can maybe possibly ignore that for a little bit, but the longer you ignore it, the longer you let that go, the worse your car is going to be, the worse shape everything's going to be in, and the more money you're going to have to fork out to, to fix it. The best thing about um, that shaking is it lets you know something needs to be done, something's not in alignment anymore, you better get this addressed. It's like a warning, and you have to get that addressed quickly, or you're going to be sorry. The question that we have to ask ourselves is what knocks our spiritual focus out of alignment? What knocks our focus spiritually out of alignment? What does that? What, what causes that? And there's different things that we could talk about or focus in on, but I want to just talk about two major areas uh, in our lives that always will knock our spiritual focus out of alignment. And the first area of, of that, uh, the first pothole, as it were, to avoid, to swerve, to treat like a, like a minefield and go around uh, all the time is, is the area of sin. Sin is the first area that we need to avoid because it is a huge crater that will every single time totally obliterate our spiritual focus. But it's not the only area. The other area, the other aspect, the other crater to avoid is just the pace and pressure of life. The pace and pressure of life. So sin and the pace 
and pressure of life. Those are two giant potholes in the road of life and particularly in the road of the Christian life that we need to avoid at all costs. Swerve around, avoid, avoid. Hebrews 12, 1, the first part of that passage and uh, also in Luke 10, verses 38 through 40, speak to that effect. They, they talk about the sin and the pace and the pressure of life that very much are, are huge craters to avoid. So starting with Hebrews 12, 1, in, in terms of the sin that we need to avoid, the Word of God says this, Therefore, since we also have such a large cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every hindrance and the sin that so easily ensnares us. You know, back in the context of when this was written, the runners that competed in the athletic games and that ran in, in the marathons and everything, they, they really made sure they didn't have any weight around them. So much so that they stripped down completely. I mean, they, they didn't have anything on as they competed and as they ran. Boy, aren't you thankful that's not the case today? Like you're tuning into the Olympics? I mean, I'm thankful for that. But that's, man, that's what they did. I mean, they didn't want anything to slow them down. They just got rid of it all. And so the writer of, of Hebrews here, he's, he's really applying that same concept in terms of running in the race of the Christian life, running in the race that we have before us once we come to Christ, because that's what it is. It's a race. And it's not a sprint. It's a marathon. That's the race that we're called to run in, which calls for endurance. It means you, you, have to, you have to have strength around you and you have to be committed because it's a long haul. It's not just point A to point B and you're done. It's involved and it's, it's ongoing. And the single worst thing that we can do as we're running in this race is to take sin lightly. To take it lightly, to not take it seriously enough. Um, sin is not just, oh, this is just the way I am. Oh, I, I'm just prone to this. Sin isn't just, oh, oops, I, <laughs> I made another mistake. Sin is what caused the perfect and eternal Son of God to go to the cross for you. Sin is serious. And Personally, the way it affects us, it, it's not something that you can just shrug off and, and you're okay with and it's really not going to matter. It's very much like driving through those potholes. It only takes one, really, to mess you up. And the more you hit one after another, the, the greater the damage. And the longer you let it go without dealing with it, then you're really in a bad situation. You're looking at maybe a whole new vehicle. Sin is something to take very seriously. It's not something to play around with. It's not something to harbor and to entertain. It's something to reject and to get rid of from your life. Fiercely. We have to be fierce and constant in our battle against sin. And church, the, the really good news for all of us, it's actually something Jerry alluded to in his prayer, 
We're not alone in that battle. We have the very power of God in us, through us, if we are in Christ Jesus. The Holy Spirit himself abides in us. And if we will choose to yield ourselves, our mind, everything we think about, our, our voice, our words, our actions, if we will yield to him, he will take over and he will take control and he will give us the power necessary to fight against the incredible foe that sin really is. But we need to to take to heart the fact that sin is this this weight around us and it just gets worse as it goes on. It doesn't get better. It grows and it multiplies. And it's something that as we just read here, it easily ensnares us. It's a trap set for us. You know, hunters understand what it is to set a trap for certain game and, and there's certain traps that work for certain animals that don't for another. And that's the way the enemy works with us. You know, there's something that might trap me that won't you. But just because what traps me doesn't trap you doesn't mean there's not a trap customized for you as well. Because the enemy knows us, and he he sets traps here, and he sets traps there, and they're very much like the minefield uh, on that previous slide. We have to avoid that. We have to be aware of it. We have to take it seriously. And we have to get rid of every weight. Have you ever... Uh, parents, have you ever played the game with your children, hopefully when they're very small, because if they're not, it gets really hard and you might have to go to the hospital where you, you drag them through your house, you know, like you're trying to get away and you play this game where you're trying to get away from them, but they're hanging on and you can't go far. Um, that's, that's one of Aiden's favorite games right now. And so we go all through the house and we have wood floors, so he just slides all over the place. And, you know, sometimes I'll, I'll try to run really fast and as little as he is, as little as he is, I mean, it's crazy how hard that is to move with, with anything around your ankles, right? And then sometimes, um, don't tell them I told you, but sometimes my girls get in on that too. You know, my, my big almost 12-year-old and my big almost 10-year-old, uh, you know, they, they get in on that too. And then it's just about impossible for dad to, to go anywhere because I've got three kids on me. Right? But that's how it works with sin. It might start off something small, but even the small thing you're going to feel the effects of, and you can't really go fast, and you can't really go forward like you should with anything hanging on, even something small. But if you don't deal with that, if you don't strip that weight off, as small as it might be, all that's going to happen is it's going to call its friends. And then you're going to have another weight, and another weight, and another weight. And soon, I mean, you're just... You're bogged down and you can hardly move at all spiritually. And then what use are we for the kingdom? What use are we for the lost world? None. And that's the enemy's strategy. He knows he can't take your salvation if you're in Christ. He can't take that from you. He can't rob you of that. But he can and does rob you of your effectiveness for the king and the kingdom. And he does it through the weight of sin and through the snares and, and entrapments of sin. So we've got to be aware of that. We've got to reject it. We've got to lay aside, strip off all those weights and, and the sin that does so easily ensnare us. So sin is the first pothole or crater that will absolutely affect your spiritual focus. It's the first one. But then I also said that the pace and the pressure of life is, is the other great significant um, 
thing that will come at us and that will divert our attention and, and divert our focus. In Luke chapter 10, verses 38 through 40, um, it may be a familiar passage. We see Jesus and his disciples, they're, they're in between places and they're coming by what is a familiar place for Jesus, a place of rest, a place of comfort. It's, it's good friends that are very much like family. And uh, it's the home of Mary and Martha and Lazarus. And we pick up where it says this, while they, and that's Jesus and the disciples with them, while they were traveling, he entered a village, Bethany is the village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. She had a sister named Mary who sat at the Lord's feet, it's important, and was listening to what he said. Sounds like a good thing to do, right? (laughs) But Martha was distracted by her many tasks. And we can't really falter there. I mean, let's let's be let's be gracious to Martha here. I mean, what would you do uh, if if Jesus was coming into your home? I mean, I would think you'd probably be doing the same thing she was. You'd be, you'd be sweeping. You'd be getting stuff out of the way. You'd be getting stuff off the floor. You'd be checking on the roast, making sure the potatoes aren't burnt. And, you know, they wouldn't really have roast, but you know what I'm saying. Um, you, you'd be doing everything you could to make sure everything was as perfect as it could possibly be. Because, I mean, this was, this was Jesus. And we do that for... Pretty much anybody that comes in our home. I mean, you know, we, we make sure things are clean. We make sure they're in order. We make sure that we have something to offer them that's going to taste at least halfway decent. You know, we, we go to lengths to make sure our home is a welcoming environment when we have guests in our home. And hopefully we treat our guests with honor and with respect and with dignity. They don't, they'll come to the door and we don't say, hey, it's open, come on in. You know, hopefully you go to the door and you open the door and you say, hey, it's good to see you. And you don't say, hey, um, if you're hungry, I think there's some leftover chicken or leftover pizza in the fridge. Help yourself. No, you fix a meal, a new, fresh meal, right? And at the end of the evening, after you're talking and spending time with them, hopefully you don't say, well, we're going to bed. Uh, Just uh, turn out the lights, lock up on your way out. Hopefully, no, you, you, you wait with them, and, and as they're leaving, you walk them back to the door, and you say, it's been so great to be with you tonight. Come again soon. Let's do this again soon. Hopefully, you do those things. And if we do that with anybody that's regularly a part of our lives, think about how we would treat someone that has this high station of honor and high prominence. And, and this, is, this is Jesus. This is Jesus. And they had a relationship And they treated Jesus as rabbi with respect. And so, I mean, we can't falter for for really being busy uh, about preparation. But it, it goes on from there. She was distracted by her many tasks. And she came up and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Don't you care? I'm slaving here, Lord. I'm doing this all for you. Don't you care that I'm doing this, knocking myself out all alone? I have no help. Is that not at all concerning to you? So please tell her, tell my sister to give me a hand. Please tell her to give me a hand. 
Oh, Martha, (laughs) what we can take from this, what we can take by way of application from what we see her doing and, and even what we hear from her, the key is the distracted part there in that first statement that Martha was distracted by her many tasks. And the application for us is this. Don't allow yourself to be so busy doing things for Jesus that you get distracted from Jesus. That is so important to guard against and to recognize, especially for those of us in full-time Christian ministry as a vocation. You know, we have multiple pastors here on staff. Uh, I've got a great staff, great team to work with. I appreciate them very much. Scott and Matthew and Jane as our secretary, man, they, they are awesome. And uh, we have a tremendous, tremendous staff. They work very hard. They work sacrificially. They work tirelessly in many cases, many times. And they very often, we all do, <laughs> we, we feel stress from time to time. And it's really bad when we're all hyper-stressed at the same time. In those times, we probably should post a a sign outside of our office door, enter at your own risk, right? Um, But it happens. It happens. And we have time away from our families. And and when we're with our families, then there's all that stress. And so it's especially hard for those in full-time Christian work, uh, like church staff. We have many staff members here from ABC, um, that understand what I'm talking about. We have Christian school teachers, and we have people that their job, their paycheck, is, is very much not the focus of the work. It's the ministry, um, and the paycheck kind of is secondary to that. And we understand how hard it can be because the spiritual is your job. It's your work. And so it's incredibly easy to get so focused on doing the stuff of ministry and working for Jesus that we, those in full-time ministry, can actually, as unthinkable as it might be hearing it, it's very, very common that we actually end up neglecting the very Jesus we're working for. So that's a bit of confession from a pastor. It's easy. And it's a struggle. The struggle is real. To still make sure we are sitting at the feet of Jesus, listening to him like Mary did. Not just being all hectic and and all over the place like Martha did. As good and important as that was. And it's not limited to, by any means, those of us who are in Christian work, okay? I mean, I don't misunderstand. We're all in this crazy pace of life. We're all under the weight and pressure of life. It's insane what we go through on a daily basis, our schedules. I mean, we, we flip out our phones or whatever. We look at our calendars, and, I mean, it's a wonder that our phone doesn't blow up in our hand because of how full it is. You know, it's, it's a wonder that Siri doesn't, when we say, Siri, add this to my calendar, that she doesn't say, I can't, I'm all full. You know, I mean, it's just, it's amazing how chock full. I mean, we look at it and it's this doctor's appointment and, and taking our child to this practice and that practice. And, and I have this meeting and then I have to go to the grocery store. And then there's this 
function and this committee meeting. And then there's, oh, there's, then there's church. And there's the Sunday morning thing. Then there's life group, if I'm part of that. Then there's the Wednesday night Bible study. And then there's maybe, possibly, another Bible study or prayer group throughout the week. And that's good stuff, but it's still one more thing to add on. And then there's that game to go to that the practices are for. And, I mean, we just... It's hard to find a breath, right? And by the way, then there's work. (laughs) Ah, it's hard. The pace we go at, it's incredible. And it seems to be never-ending. And so you take all that together. You take regular, just everyday life. And and you take the, the spiritual, too, and our involvement in spiritual things... Oh, church, Christian, it is so easy, so easy to get distracted from Jesus in doing things for Jesus. But we've got to guard against that. Don't allow that to happen in your life. Especially those of you who are co-laborers in the work of the ministry. Especially for you. Now please hear me on this though, okay? Please hear me. That, that's not an excuse for doing nothing for Jesus. Okay? My warning is not an excuse or an out for doing something for Jesus. No. The more we are with him, learning from him and about him, the more we're going to want to serve him. Okay, That's how that should work. The more we are with Jesus, the more we learn about Jesus, the more we hear from him, we should want to serve him even more out of love for him. So don't misunderstand, that must be the result of a true, a real relationship uh, with Jesus. But the key, the key is to make sure the order is right. Key is to make sure the order is right. That our focus is properly aligned. That's what we're talking about today. Okay, Being with and hearing from him first, first. And flowing out of that, out of being with him, sitting at his feet, as it were, listening to him, growing from him, loving him more and more, flowing out of that, we serve and we work for him. Understand? With me on that? That's the right order. That's the proper alignment. Okay? So we've talked about what will get us out of alignment spiritually and what will affect our focus spiritually. Let's, let's talk now about how we actually realign our focus because we can be honest. This is a safe place. Like Jerry did earlier, he said, how many are in this place or that place? You know, I'm glad you guys raised your hands. That's good. It's, it's okay to admit I'm in a rough place. It's okay to admit I'm in a dry spell. It's okay. You're not going to be judged for that. But the key is to go forward from those places, not just to stay in the place of emptiness, not to stay in the place of weakness. That's the problem. Admitting it is good and necessary. Moving on from that, that's even more necessary. So how do we realign our focus? That's the question that's before us. Well, Hebrews 12.1, the first part of that verse, talked about the sin and the weight that so easily trips us up and entangles us, um, that we have to be aware of that, that sin will always do that. That's what we spent time focusing on a little bit. Now, in the second part of verse 1 into verse 2, uh, we see how we can actually realign our focus the way we need to. Hebrews 12.1, part B, says this, Let us run with endurance 
the race that lies before us. And here's how we do that. Here's the strategy. Keeping our eyes on Jesus, the source and perfecter of our faith. That's the how. And that's the only how. You want to run the race that's before you with endurance? You want to run without being tripped up and and snared and entangled by the weight of sin? You want to avoid that? You want to reject that? You want to keep going forward? Good. Don't try harder in yourself. That's not going to do it. Just trying harder, doing more, that's not the way. All that's going to do is weigh you down even more. That's going to stress you out and tire you out even more greater. The key is what we just saw there. Run with endurance the race that is set before us, but do it constantly by keeping, by fixing, gluing our eyes on Jesus, who is the source, the source, the originator, and the perfecter or the maintainer of our faith. If you pay attention to running at all on TV and sports, or if you've been a runner, you know that the very basic fundamental thing that they tell every runner is, keep your eyes straight ahead. Don't look to the side of the track. Don't look behind you to see who's coming up on your rear. Keep your eyes straight ahead constantly, no matter what. Because all it takes is a split second when your head or your eyes turn to the left or the right, and you look behind you, and... Your momentum stops, it slows, and you could very possibly very easily trip up. You have to keep your eyes straight ahead. That's why uh, with horses, that's why they put the blinders on their eyes so that they don't see what's going on around them. They just keep moving forward. They, They don't worry about what's going on around them. And that's the same thing we need to do in terms of our walk and our faith and the race that we're supposed to be running. We have to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus alone, because there is so many distractions all around us. I mean, you know what I'm talking about. You know what's in your life, and we talked about the busyness of schedule, and and there's just so many things to divert our attention, and some things are good things, but what we have to constantly do is train our mind to focus on the best thing, even above the good things, and certainly reject The bad things, right? So keeping our eyes fixed on Jesus, the source and the perfecter of our faith. And this is what it says about Jesus, the source and the perfecter of our faith, how he ran. For the joy that lay before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame. How did he do that? I mean, that was his race. You think your race is tough and hard and trying, and and it is, it is, mine too, but, oh, brothers and sisters, let's be honest, our race is nothing compared to the race that our Savior ran before us. His race was the cross. How did he endure that? How did he despise the shame, as it says here? It's because he kept his eyes fixed ahead on the goal. And what was the goal? What was the goal of the cross? What was the goal of his shame? It was our salvation. It was the purchasing of a people for God. It was the redemption of the people that had been broken by sin. That's what motivated him. 
you and me. Love for you and me. A desire to see you and me brought to himself and made whole. That was what kept him going. That's why he was able to endure the suffering of the cross and despise its shame, seeing it as as temporary and seeing it as worth it all, all for you and for me. And so that can and should be our motivation. Remembering and understanding, wow, look at what my Savior did for me. And the reason he did it was so that I could come to him and find life everlasting. So that I could be made right with God. So that I could have hope and joy and peace and a future. He did all that for me and he ran and he endured it and he kept going. That's motivation for me. And for you to keep running as well and to fix our eyes on the source and the perfecter of our faith, the Lord Jesus. And his race wasn't something that just kept on going without any conclusion. The last part of this verse says he, he sat down. He sat down. That means his work was done. It was finished. It was completed. He sat down at the right hand of the throne of God, the place of absolute majesty and glory. That's what Jesus achieved. And he is seated at the right hand of the Father even now where he ever lives to make intercession for us. Because we still run this race and it's grueling and it's also possible and also easy to get tripped up by the weight of sin. And the great news when that happens is we have the source and the perfecter of our faith who went before us, who ran before us, who understands the grueling nature of the race, who completed it and says to us, I give you my victory, I give you my strength, and I intercede with the Father for you because I know how weak you are. Isn't that great? Isn't that wonderful? That's how we keep our focus. That's how we keep our focus as as far as it relates to the striving against sin and the rejecting of those weights that, that sin will constantly be. We look to Jesus, we remember what he did for us, and we fix our eyes on him, the perfecter of our faith. Well, also back in the Luke chapter 10 passage, we, we stopped with Martha saying, don't you care, Jesus? Don't you care? I'm slaving away for you. I'm doing all this stuff for you. I'm working so hard for you. Will you please tell my good-for-nothing sister to come help me, please? Well, this is what Jesus said in response. The Lord answered her, Martha, Martha. Don't you just... Let's just hear the, the tenderness in his voice. I, I don't hear correction. I, I don't hear judgment. I don't hear frustration. I, I, hear, I hear compassion. I hear love. I hear tenderness. Martha. Oh, Martha. You are worried and upset about many things. Can the Lord Jesus say that to you this morning? Can he say that about you, where you are, where you sit? Did you bring stuff in today? Are you worried and upset, fearful about many things today? I'm sure sure some, I'm sure many even of you are. Um, I understand that. But you know what? More than me understanding, Jesus understands. 
You were worried about and upset about many things. But one thing, one thing is necessary. Mary has made the right choice. And it will not be taken away from her. The one thing that was necessary and the right choice that Mary made was where we started off in this passage. As Martha welcomes Jesus into her home and he comes in and he settles, boom, doesn't take any time at all. Mary's there. She's just, I mean, she, and I, I see her before Jesus even comes. Jesus is coming? Really? He's coming back? Yes! And she just can't wait. And she's eager. And as soon as he comes in the door, I mean, I see in my mind her running and just giving a hug to Jesus and, and allowing him to come. And he, he's seated. And I can see Martha starting to do her serving or hostess duties, right? But Mary, she's just sitting there. And she's just glued. What, what do you have for me, Jesus? What do you want to tell me today? That's the one thing that was necessary and the right choice that will not be taken away from Mary was sitting there at the feet of the master, hearing from the teacher, hearing from the way, the truth, and the life. She understood that was what was necessary to keep her focus where it needed to be. I want to keep my focus on God, but there's all these things that vie for the attention. There's all these things that assault my spiritual focus. What am I going to do? Oh, there's Jesus. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to root myself beneath his feet. And I'm going to open my ears to what he says. I'm going to hang on every word because his words are the words of life. That needs to be our attitude as well. And it's what Jesus himself, what really he was saying to Martha here. And it's what he said in Matthew 11 verses 28 to 29. And it's what he wants to say to each and every one of us today and tomorrow and every day after. This is what he is calling all of us to do like he really was calling Martha to do. Jesus says this, come. Isn't that great to hear that Jesus is saying, I mean, we could stop right there even. Jesus is saying, come, come. Jesus is a Savior and a Lord and a God of invitation. He's a God of invitation. And I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful that he would invite me, not just for salvation, but again and again and again. Look at what he says. Come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened. That just about describes every one of us, right? I mean, there's not really anybody who could be out of that category. Come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened. Are you weary? Are you burdened? You have an invitation from the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords to come to him. And here's what he says with that invitation. Here's the promise. It's beautiful. It's powerful. It's amazing. And it's what we desperately need every single moment. And I will give you rest. there's hardly any sweeter word, isn't there? Rest. And this isn't just the rest, like I might catch a few winks and maybe I'll get six hours of sleep and I'll wake up and do it all again. The rest that Jesus is talking about here is that deep, abiding, lasting rest. A rest that doesn't have to be 
replenished by sleep or, or by eating more or, or whatever. It's the rest that only he can provide. It's the rest that will last through anything that comes our way. It's the rest that will stay intact no matter what the pressures of life we, we have are. But the thing is, it's only found in him. You're not going to find it in any other source. That's, that's the catch, if you will. That's the key. This rest that Jesus provides, much like the water that he says he provides, and much like the bread that he says he provides, that it will last forever, you know, it's the same thing here, but it's only found in him. And so we have to keep coming to him. We have to keep yielding ourselves to him, keep surrendering to him, keep sitting at his feet, keep listening to his words. That's where we find the relief of our weariness and our our burdens, and that's where we find the rest that we all desperately need and look for and want. We all want it, and we all look for it. We all search for it. The problem is we search in other places that will not provide it. It just leaves us empty. In Jesus, we have all the rest, the true rest, lasting rest, rest of mind, rest of heart, rest of the emotions, rest of the will. We have the, the rest that we all need, and, and it will never be something that disappoints us or lets us down. It's only in Jesus. And he says in verse 29, Take up my yoke and learn from me. There's that learning. See, that's sitting there, listening to him, learning from him. Because I am lowly and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Your souls goes much deeper than any other part of the human being. The soul is the core of who you are. So what Jesus is promising here is, in me, if you'll learn from me, if you'll come to me, and you'll sit beneath me, and you'll hear from me, and you'll let me impart my wisdom to you, and you'll let me give you my strength, you will find rest at the very core of your being, and no one can take that from you. It's an incredible promise. Well, we also find realignment in our focus by choosing what we think about and choosing what our mind settles on and choosing what we focus on. In Philippians 4.8, Paul says this, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any moral excellence... And if there is anything praiseworthy, dwell, fix your mind on these things. And church, listen to me, listen to me. All of those things that Paul talked about there in those lists, that's all found in Jesus Christ. Those are his attributes. Those are his characteristics. So by dwelling on those things, what that really means is we have to dwell on Christ. And as we dwell on the person of Christ, as we're in his word and we're, we're listening to him, as he's teaching the masses, he's teaching us. And as he's traveling, we travel with him through his word and by his spirit. It's an amazing thing that we can do with the word of God and the spirit of God. We're, we're there with him and we're hearing from him. As we're doing those things, we're seeing all of this lived out in the person of Christ. And as we focus on those things, as we focus on him, those things will be in us as well. And so that's, that's how we realign 
our focus as well. And so what that means is, for all of us practically, is this. Don't try to balance Jesus along with everything else in your life. Don't try to do that. That doesn't work. It won't happen. Don't try to balance Jesus along with everything else in your life. No, start with Jesus and balance everything else on him. That's the way to do it. That's the only way to do it. We need to remember that Jesus is not just something to add to the mix of life. Okay, He's not something to add to the mix and, and to try to balance him along with everything else. He needs to be the foundation. He needs to be the foundation that everything else is built on. Starting with him as the foundation and keeping him in the center. That's the only way, the only way to keep things properly balanced and in alignment. It's the only way to do it. Everything else will just cause you to be out of balance and cause you to be out of alignment. Okay? Colossians 3, 2 through 3 says, Set your minds, fix your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died. If you're in Christ, that's true of you. For you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. So fix your mind on on Him and on the things of eternity. Because that's your identity anyway, if you're in Christ. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Would you pray with me? Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And if you do, the song says, and the things of earth, all the things of earth that are so hard and trying and frustrating and difficult, the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of His glory and grace.